in the heart of Africa. There is a place known as the land of a thousand hills, lush and green, a land of great vibrancy, full of life, red fertile soil that supports some of the most beautiful landscapes you'll ever see. And yet, like all places in the world where we find tremendous beauty, we also find brokenness, orphaned and vulnerable children with no memory of parents, unseen by society without the assurance of a meal, the security of shelter or the dignity of work. But in the gap we find between God's beauty and our brokenness, we believe that God can build a bridge, that grace received and grace shared can turn mourning into dancing, great grief into immeasurable joy, bondage and brokenness, into hope restored and hope renewed. And so today, you are invited on a journey to Rwanda, as together we remember the central affirmation God's story is a story of grace. Well, I want to welcome you again today to the Center for the Performing of Arts. Uh, it is a joy to have you today. And before I begin, I just want to take a moment uh, and invite you to join me in celebrating hundreds of volunteers, our, our worship team, those people who you cannot see who make all this stuff work that, that has blessed you. Would you join me in just thanking those who have made Easter available for you this weekend? My name is David and I serve as the senior pastor at First Methodist Mansfield. Um, I've had the joy with my wife to call Mansfield our home for the last 10 years. Uh, and the little baby girl that we brought with us when we moved here is now in fifth grade. She's not so little anymore. Uh, a few years later, we welcomed uh, our son, Jack, who is now a kindergarten student at Willie Brown Elementary School. And, and I just want you to know that, that for us, uh, it is an honor uh, and a joy to serve this community uh, that has been a rich blessing to us over the course of this last decade of, of our life. And I didn't mention this last night, but as I saw people coming in this morning, I saw a lot of people who I know uh, have come to this facility before uh, because they work in our school system. I saw lots of teachers coming in. I saw some principals, administrators, superintendents. And I just thought, you know, one of the things that has been a rich blessing for, for my wife and I uh, in our life, she worked as a, as a teacher for 12 years uh, is, is this school district and the way that they bless our kids. And we're here in one of the finest facilities of our school district. And I think we should just take a moment and say thank you to those who bless and serve our community in tremendous ways as in our school district. If you're a first-time guest with us, uh, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, if you were here at the beginning of the service, you saw a video that highlights the series that we're going to start next week called The Power of Words. And as you leave today, uh, we're going to share with you this very simple card. It has the power of words on one side. On the back, it has a simple verse of Scripture. Though the next three weeks, uh, we as a church family, we're going to look at this very simple Scripture and the idea that the words that we share, the words that we share with, with our family, with our friends, even the words that we speak to ourselves about ourselves, that those have the power to change the course of our lives. And so I hope you'll receive this card just as our invitation for you uh, to come back next week as we look at that important series. Uh, the video that I just showed you is the series that we just finished in our church. So the last six weeks, 
we've been talking about a story of grace and we've been talking about a partnership we have with a ministry that supports orphans in Rwanda. I got to go to Rwanda, which is a small country in the, in the center of Africa. I got to go there in February uh, to meet a lot of the orphans that we support there. We currently are supporting a, a group of 1,000 orphans in Rwanda. And then over the next week, the weeks that followed that, we shared their stories with our church. And we talked about this very simple idea that we believe that God's story is a story of grace. And I wanted to show you that today because if you're brand new, it would be appropriate and understandable for you to be asking yourself a couple questions right now. Like, like who is this church? And what do they believe? And what are they about? What drives them? What does what is, what is the, the, this church really, really care about? And I wanted to share that with you because those words and those images really speak to that. They speak to who First Methodist Mansfield is and how we see ourselves and our mission in the world. We believe that followers of Jesus are called to partner with God to build a better world. And that not only includes our community, Mansfield, and the surrounding communities that you may be a part of, uh, in Midlothian, Arlington, Grand Prairie, wherever, wherever you may come from today. We, we believe you are called as a follower of Jesus to partner with God to build a better world in your own community, but also communities around the world. Wherever there are people in need, wherever there are hearts that are broken, wherever there are people who are in need of restoration, we believe that followers of Jesus are called to partner with God in, the, in that work. We believe that the Bible tells the story, an unfolding story of God's grace. That's the, that's the arc throughout the entire story of a God who loves and longs to bless the world. A God who loves and longs to bless the lives of individuals, to transform those people. And using those transformed individuals to partner with him in the continual transformation of God's world. We believe that Jesus came. That Jesus came to this world as an expression of that story, to, to share in the most vivid way possible with us the love and grace and heart of the Father. And that Jesus lived that out in his teachings, in the way that he shared life with his disciples and every person that he came in contact with, and that Jesus lived that out in the way that, that his life ended here on earth. And we believe that this moment, what we're here for today, the reason we've come to this place to, to sing Easter songs, that this moment in the story is the climax, it's the culmination, it is the crescendo of God's story of grace. And in this moment, in the Easter moment, we see the passion of God's heart. God's dreams, what the God dreams that he has for, for you and for me and for every person who inhabits this world. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning is what I believe God intended Easter to mean for you. Today, wherever you are in your life today, I want to talk about what I, I believe God intended for Easter to mean for you and for me and for every person who inhabits this world. Now to do that, I want to, I want to take, a, take us back from this moment about seven days in the life of Jesus to the beginning of what Christians today call Holy Week, the first day of which is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the day when Christians remember Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. So Jesus came from the area in the northern portion of Israel, the, the area surrounding the Sea of Galilee. That's where Jesus spent most of his life. That's where he spent most of his public ministry. But in the final week of his life, Jesus came with thousands of others to the holy city of Jerusalem. And he came for the purpose of celebrating and marking the Passover. 
Jesus came first to the community of Bethany, a small village located just to the east of Jerusalem. And he entered Jerusalem from that place, coming over the Mount of Olives. And from the top of the Mount of Olives, as you come across that mountain looking down, what you see is the eastern wall of Jerusalem. And there on the Temple Mount, you would ha- Jesus would have seen the temple structure, what Jews believe to be the literal dwelling place of God. And so as Jesus came down that mountain, what the scriptures tell us is that there were crowds who had gathered, who had laid their coats out on the road for Jesus as he came down that mountain. There were crowds who were waving palm branches, that's why we call it Palm Sunday, and they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was a great parade of celebration, which certainly would have blessed Jesus, But it also would have been a a great source of encouragement for his disciples who came to Jerusalem with him. You see, what Jesus had told them on multiple occasions is that if he were to go to Jerusalem, things were going to get ugly. He he knew that, and and the disciples uh, anticipated that because they knew that the home base of those who saw themselves as the adversaries of Jesus, the enemies of Jesus, their home base was Jerusalem. And while Jesus had interacted with them on numerous occasions through the course of his ministry, it was always on his turf. It was among his crowds. People would come out to hear him teach. There was some safety and security for Jesus among the many who came to hear him teach when he engaged them. But Jerusalem was different. Jerusalem was was a different audience, a different crowd. And he was going to engage the religious leadership that opposed him on their own turf. And so when the crowds came and the crowds shouted, the disciples must have felt a source of encouragement and relief of, okay, well, maybe this isn't going to go the way that he thought it was going to go, that that these people were welcoming Jesus as many had throughout Israel. And and so on on Sunday, what you need to understand that week before is everything was going so well. I mean, it was going so great for Jesus and the disciples, and there, there must have been a source of encouragement that they, they pulled from that. And then the days that followed, things continued to go well. Jesus taught on the temple steps among the, the thousands who had come for the Passover celebration. Uh, he engaged with the religious leadership, and there was, there was energy from the crowd around his teaching. Everything was going really, really well until about Thursday night. And then the mood began to change. Thursday night, Jesus gathered with his disciples in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover meal. Again, that's why many had come to Jerusalem in that that week, to celebrate the Passover meal, a meal that commemorated God's deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt hundreds and hundreds of years before. And, And as Jesus shared in the Passover meal, as these men had done every year of their life, the different elements of the meal each represented part of this past story, this story of deliverance. But but Jesus did something brand new. He took some of these elements that had a meaning connected to a story of God's movement among them from hundreds of years ago, and he gave them new meaning. He took bread and he broke the bread. And he said, this bread, this bread will now represent my body broken for you. He took one of the cups from the meal and and he said, this this cup, this this, this wine that we have here, it, it will now represent my blood poured out for you. When the meal was over, Jesus left the city of Jerusalem. He went back to the Mount of Olives to a garden there at the base of that hill. And there he prayed and he prepared himself for what he knew would come next. 
That same night, under the cover of darkness, Judas, the disciple who betrayed him, came with a crowd of people who had come for the purpose of arresting Jesus. And later that night, Jesus was facing a hasty trial before the religious leadership. By the time the morning came, that Friday morning, Jesus was being prepared by the Roman soldiers to face the punishment of his hurried conviction. Now let me just pause and ask you this question. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you just thought to yourself, I can't imagine what I'm going to do if anything else goes wrong? Have you ever, have you ever found yourself at that place where you are just so exhausted by where life has taken you, by the circumstances that you may be facing in your life at that particular moment that you couldn't help but just step back and say, I don't know what I'm going to do if one more thing goes wrong. Now, I mentioned that to you because what I want you to notice in this last week of Jesus' life is that for the disciples, that last week went like many moments in your life have gone. They went from, from a moment when everything seemed to be going right. Everything was headed in a positive direction. Every, everything was going in the way that you would want it to go until something happened. Something snapped in the universe. And then all of a sudden, things just started crumbling before you. They started heading in a direction that you never intended to go. And you found yourself at a place you never wanted to be. Everything went from going right to going very, very wrong. So that moment that you have experienced in life, whether that moment was yesterday or whether it was many years ago, that moment where you found yourself exhausted at the end where you can't imagine what you're going to do if anything else goes wrong, we find that moment here in this story. For those disciples who had given their life to Jesus, who had come to Jerusalem with him, they were there with him. And everything was going right until it stopped. And it started heading in a direction that was very, very wrong. Now, if you've been there before, my guess is you've had, you have. If you've been there before in your life, if you've ever had an experience like that where you just found yourself at the end of your rope, that's what we sometimes call it, then you know part of what is so painful about that experience and it is that, like the disciples, when we find ourselves at that place, we assume that that is the end of the story. All we can see is the pain that we feel. All that we can, that we can experience is, is the suffering of that moment. And we begin to lose our sense of imagination that life could ever turn in a positive direction again. All we can see is what we've lost. It's all we can feel. It's all we can focus on. And we begin to think this is the end. This is where the story ends. This is, this is where hope ends. This is where, this is where life ends. At that place where everything has, has gone suddenly very, very wrong. And when you get there, if you've been there, you know that part of what increases that pain, what, what makes, it so less, uh, makes it so hard for us is that when we go to that place we have to look right in the eye of a truth that most of us would rather avoid. In fact, it's a truth that most of us spend a lot of time and energy trying to avoid in our life, but it, it, it smacks us in the face when we come to that moment where we feel like all is lost, when we feel like there's no more hope, when we hit Friday, the day that Jesus died. We find ourselves at that place and we are hit by this truth that we, that we spend lots of time trying to evade in our life, and the truth is this, that everyone dies and we all suffer. Have you noticed that? Everyone dies, and we all suffer. 
And it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how great your career is. It doesn't matter how perfect and wonderful your family might be. It doesn't matter the quality of the, the significant relationships in your life. It doesn't matter how many times you, you go to church uh, uh, over the course of your life. It doesn't matter how consistent you are. In any of those things, everyone dies. And over the course of our life, this is the reality of the human experience that we don't like and we would rather avoid, but over the course of our life, we all suffer. We all suffer. We all get phone calls that we didn't want to get. We all walk through experiences that we, we didn't want any part of. We all find ourselves in places we never intended to go. All of us suffer, whether you're living here in this community or on the other side of the world. All of us who share the human condition, at some point in our life, we run into this hard truth that the people that we love die, that we all die and everyone suffers. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Don't, don't miss this, because if you miss this, you will totally miss Easter. You'll miss everything that this moment was meant and intended to be for you if you miss this core idea. What I want to suggest to you today is that in the story of Jesus' life and in the story of Jesus' death, God intentionally takes us to the place that we do not want to go. He intentionally takes us to that moment where we have to face the truth that most of us would rather avoid. God intentionally takes us to that place where we connect with that all is lost moment, where we see our story and our life and those moments that we have all experienced in life in the life of Jesus and in the story of Jesus. God intentionally takes us to Friday on the day when the world went black and the disciples assumed the sun was never going to rise again. He takes us there to that place that none of us want to go to face that truth that many of us would rather avoid. He takes us there and then he shares with us a very simple idea that is the message of Easter. Here it is. That Friday is not the end of the story. Friday is not the end of the story. Everyone assumed it was. Everyone assumed it was. The disciples assumed it was. The enemies of Jesus assumed it was. Those who didn't know anything about Jesus. Who's this guy in Jerusalem? And what's this controversy about? Everyone assumed that crucifixion was the end. That Jesus, for all the good that he did, his story and his life ended in a brutal execution. That's what everyone thought and no one assumed. Well, no one turned to another person and just said, well, just hold on. We'll be fine. Give it a couple days. No one thought that. Everyone assumed, just like you do, that Friday was the end of the story. But it wasn't. The story wasn't over. I got my first ministry job when I was 22. I was two days past being a college graduate, beginning my work as a youth pastor at a small church in, in Cleburne, Texas. I was really excited about this job. I was really excited about uh, this new journey that I had started. My, my wife and I were about to be married. We were six months away. We were getting married that next summer. And so uh, that was the only thing that was a, a little hard for, for me and for her in that is that the last six months of our engagement, we were going to be in part. She was still finishing up her undergraduate work, and we were going to be together that, that next summer. And about a, a couple of weeks before that, our wedding day, I took my kids on, their, on our first mission trip together. 
And I was really excited about the trip, not only to take the kids and to be with them and to, and to see them, see what God was going to do in their life for the course of this week. But I was also excited because my wife Stephanie was going to come. I, I talked her into, you know, you need a break from, from wedding planning. Come be a cook on mission trip. And, and, and she agreed. I was excited because I wanted the kids to meet her and get to know her and, and, and for us to get a chance to see what our new life was going to be like. And, and as we moved to, to about the halfway point in that week, it was everything that I had hoped it would be. We were having a great time. The kids were doing amazing work. The, the times that, we've had, that we had had in worship had been wonderful, and, and she was having the chance to interact with them. And I, just, I was so excited because we were moving forward to our wedding, and I knew what this, this was what our new life was going to be about. And it was, just, it was really it was just a great week. It was a great week with those kids. Then Wednesday night, uh, all the kids were in their rooms. I have no idea if they were asleep, but at least they were in the location where they were going to go to sleep. And I was kind of tidying up around the church that we were staying in. It was late at night, and my phone rang. And when I, when I saw who was calling, it was my best friend, I just had that moment, you've probably had this before in your life, if you've ever gotten a phone call like this, I just had this moment where I thought to myself before I answered the phone, this is not good news. No one calls at this hour, and he doesn't call at this hour with good news. And I was right. I answered the phone, and I heard the voice of my best friend, and he said, David, I don't know how to tell you this, but Laura was killed in a car accident today. I'd known Laura since kindergarten. We ended up at the same college together. We ended up in the same business school together. We were pursuing the same major. We had many classes together. She became a, a really close friend for, for my wife and I. When I bought the ring that I was going to give to my wife, I, I remember very nervously carrying it across campus to one of my classes because I wanted to show Laura and I wanted to ask her, do you think Stephanie will like this? A couple days before we left on that trip, I'd, I'd gotten an email from Laura. And she said, hey, I, I know you're going on this trip next week, but I just wanted you to know that I am so excited to be in Houston with you and Stephanie on your wedding day. I don't remember the rest of that phone call. I don't remember how long it lasted. I don't remember what else we talked about. But I remember that very soon after I heard the, that news, the tears, the tears came. And the only other thing that I remember about that night is that those tears continued to flow for hours and hours and hours. I'd never felt grief like that before. I'd never known it like that before. It was one of the darkest nights of my life. There was no peace. There was no joy. There was no hope. There was only sadness. There was only pain. It was only the thought that, that why, why? Why did this happen, Lord? What, what, what went wrong? How, how, could this, how could this happen for her? It was only the, 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 the thought of, of a life cut tragically short and her, and her parents and her brothers who had heard this horrible news that day. It was a dark night. It's one of those nights, maybe you've had one too, a, a night where you just felt like the sun is never going to rise again. The next morning, the kids got up, and the, uh, the pastor who I was serving with was there on the trip, and so he shared with them the news that I had heard the night before, and, and he said, we're here to, to serve people. That's why we've come here, and we're going to continue to do that today, but before we do that, I want us to simply pray for David, and to pray for Stephanie, and to pray for their friend Laura's family. 
And he took two folding chairs and he brought them to the center of that, of that room and he set them there and he invited us just to sit down and then he invited the kids to come and to just gather around us and place their hands on our shoulders and, and then he prayed, he prayed for us and he prayed for the family of my friend. And, and somehow in the midst of that, that prayer, as I heard those words and, and I felt those hands on my shoulders, one of the darkest nights of my life began to end. Friday was not the end of the story. It was an awful day. It was a horrible day, a day of suffering, a day of pain, a day of agony, a day of loss. It was a day when for the disciples the world went black. And they assumed and they believed that the sun was never going to rise again. But it wasn't the end of the story. And as we remember the last week of Jesus' life, it's important that we not rush through Friday. But that we pause and we remember what that was like. So that we can see in our own life, in our own story, in those moments that we have walked through, we can see those moments in this moment. And when you make that connection, when you understand that, that your darkest moments were there at that moment, that that's part of what he carried to the cross and part of what he bore in that moment of pain, when you make that connection, you can understand what God intended Easter to mean for you and what God intended Easter to mean for me. Let me show it to you right here. It's that simple sentence. That's what Easter was intended to mean for you. Now, I know you're thinking, David, there's not a complete sentence there. You're, you're missing the beginning. And you're right, there's a blank. There's something empty this, in, this, in this simple sentence. And the reason that there is something empty is because I can't fill that blank for you. Only you can. But here's what I can tell you, is that Easter is God's invitation for you to fill that blank. For you to look at your life, you to look at those seasons of life that you have walked through, look at those moments that you have walked through, those experiences of pain and suffering, for you to connect those moments where you thought the sun was never going to rise, when you found yourself at that dead end, when you hit again that hard truth that everyone dies and we all suffer, and you found yourself beginning to believe that that's all there is to this life, is this, this sense of pain and suffering, to connect that moment, whatever it might be, something that you went through years ago, something that you're walking through right now, or something that you may go through in the next year of your life, whatever it might be, to take that moment, to place it at the beginning of that sentence, and to recognize that that is not the end of your story. Frederick Buechner says it this way, I share this with you every single Easter, that resurrection means, this is what it means for you, it means that the worst thing in life is never the last thing in life. And as bad as that moment might be, as, as, as real as that pain and suffering might be, as dark as that night may feel, Easter is God's invitation that he is not only there with us in that moment, but that there is this promise that says, the sun will rise again. 
that your life and my life does not end in darkness and pain. But in that moment, life is renewed. Life is experienced again. Because whatever it is, whatever's the worst thing, whatever, whatever you would put in that blank, whether it's a divorce, a death, a loss of a loved one, a friend, a significant relationship, the loss of a job, a fractured relationship, whatever it is that you may put in that blank, an, an addiction, it's not the end of your story. Because Friday is not the end. Friday's pain and Friday's suffering was interrupted by Sunday's celebration, by the one who came back. And so today, may you know, may you know in the depth of your soul and with every fiber of your being that God has a dream and a hope for you in your life. It's a dream and a hope that is captured in this moment, this climax, this crescendo. And it is that you would never forget, that you would never forget that on Friday, life doesn't end. Because resurrection means that the worst thing that we walk through in life is never the last thing. Because hope lives. Hope lives. And so the invitation today is to is to spend time thinking about what is it that needs to go in the front of that sentence? What is it that fills that blank? What is it that you are tempted to believe is the end? And to hear the message of Easter. Friday's not the end. Our suffering is not the end. The pain is not the end. Our death is not the end. Because Sunday is coming. And hope, hope lives. So today I want to do for you what others have have done for me. I want, this may be a little bit awkward, but I want to invite you to stand up. And I want, you, I want to invite you to find a shoulder, someone who is seated in front of you or someone who is seated next to you. And I want to invite you just to place your hand on their shoulder. And then I want to do for you, again, what others did for me. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God would not only bless you this Easter, but I want to pray that you would begin to believe, maybe for the first time, or to simply believe again that whatever it is that you have faced in life, whatever you faced in your past, whatever you're facing now, whatever you may face in the future, that you would begin to believe and understand that it is not the end of your story. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for Easter. We give you thanks, Lord, for this promise, this hope that we find in this moment. We give you thanks, Lord, that in those moments that we've all walked through in life, every single person in this room and every single person who inhabits this world, we give you thanks, Lord, in those, in those moments when we feel loss and pain and suffering and we cannot imagine hope ever coming back, you were there with us, walking with us, holding us, strengthening us, encouraging us. And we give you thanks, Lord, that in this moment of Easter, we are reminded of this truth that not only do you meet us in that place of suffering and pain, but that you have the power to overcome it, to penetrate that darkness, to change the future, to move us in a new direction, to bring again the gift of life. And so may that gift come for us today and every day. All these things we pray in the name of our
resurrected Savior, Jesus. Amen. Grace and peace, brothers and sisters.